We open the Holy Scriptures to Proverbs chapter 30. We finished the series on Luke, and I'll be taking a little bit of time to decide what to do next in terms of a series, and so to buy a little time, thought we would have a few sermons on a, some intriguing Proverbs in chapter 30. So I plan to have a very brief series, four sermons on Proverbs 30, verses 24 through 28, each of which teach us spiritual truth by means of very little creatures, something hopefully the children can appreciate, the imagery in these Proverbs. So we're going to take the first of those creatures in the sermon tonight. The text will be verses 24 and 25 of Proverbs 30. And we'll read the entire chapter. The words of Agur, the son of Jacob, even the prophecy. The man spake unto Ithiel, even unto Ithiel and Ukel. Surely I am more brutish than any man, and have not the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom, nor have the knowledge of the holy. Who hath ascended up into heaven, or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fists? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Two things have I required of thee, deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Accuse not a servant unto his master, lest he curse thee and thou be found guilty. There is a generation that curseth their father, and doth not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes, and yet is not washed from their filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords, and their jaw teeth as knives, to devour the poor from off the earth, and the needy from among men. The horse leash hath two daughters, crying, Give, give. There are three things that are never satisfied, yea, four things say not, it is enough. The grave and the barren womb, the earth that is not filled with water, and the fire that saith not, it is enough. The eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out, and the young eagles shall eat it. There be three things which are too wonderful for me, yea, four which I know not. The way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent upon a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid. Such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth, and saith, I have done no wickedness. For three things the earth is disquieted, and for four which it cannot bear. For a servant, when he reigneth, And a fool, when he is filled with meat, 
for an odious woman when she is married, and an handmaid that is heir to her mistress. There be four things which are little upon the earth, but are but they are exceeding wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. The conies are but a feeble folk, yet make they their houses in the rocks. The locusts have no king, yet go they forth all of them by bands. The spider taketh hold with her hands and is in king's palaces. There be three things which go well, yea, four are comely in going. A lion which is strongest among beasts, and turneth not away for any. A greyhound, and he goat also, and a king, against whom there is no rising up. If thou hast done foolishly in lifting up thyself, or if thou hast thought evil, lay thine hand upon thy mouth. Surely the churning of milk bringeth forth butter, and the wringing of the nose bringeth forth blood. So the forcing of wrath bringeth forth strife. Here we end our reading of the scriptures. Once again, verses 24 and 25, we will focus on tonight. There be four things which are little upon the earth, but are, but they are exceeding wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. Beloved in the Lord, we know that the book of Proverbs Most of it was penned by Solomon under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But at the end of Proverbs, we have two chapters which were written by different human authors. The last chapter, chapter 31, is more familiar to us. It's the chapter that sets forth the virtuous woman and has many beautiful passages there. But chapter 30 is a little less familiar. Chapter 30, as we see from verse 1, was written by a man named Agur. Apparently, he was a wise man that likely lived in Israel during the days of Solomon. His name simply means gatherer or collector. And that makes sense because Proverbs 30 is a collection of various wise sayings on different topics. And some of these sayings are rather intriguing and difficult to understand at first glance. These sayings are not just the sayings of an old wise man, but they are the very word of God. You notice in verse 1 that Proverbs chapter 30 calls itself the prophecy, literally the burden. And here the very same word is used that we find in the prophets. The word that is used to describe the word of the Lord when it came to the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. They had a burden from the Lord. These words are inspired scripture. They're the word of God to us. There's many interesting things in Proverbs chapter 30. Many individual Proverbs. But one of the things that strikes us is that there are several groups of four things. In Proverbs 30, we read about four things that are too wonderful to know, four things that disquiet the earth, four things which go well and are comely, and four things which be little upon the earth, yet are wise. This Sunday and the next couple Sundays, we're going to look at those four little things which be wise. God, in his word, 
is going to teach us wisdom. He's going to teach us wisdom using very earthly and homely things. Jesus, the word made flesh, did that. Think of Jesus' Proverbs. He was a master teacher who used the things of everyday life and everyday experience to teach about the invisible things of the kingdom of heaven. To convey to his hearers spiritual truth. And God does this here too in in these Proverbs which teach us wisdom, spiritual truth using earthly, homely things. In fact, using little creatures, little animals. This is possible because God reveals himself in creation. The works of his hands show us something about him, even the smallest ones. Belgic Confession Article 2 puts it this way, puts it very beautifully. When it speaks of the creation as being before our eyes, as a most elegant book, wherein all creatures, great and small, are as so many characters, leading us to contemplate the invisible things of God, namely his power and divinity. In light of the scriptures and with the eyes of faith, the believer can look all around him in this creation, up to the heavens and the sun, the moon, and the stars, down to the ground, to the little bugs crawling around on the ground, and we see in these things something of the wisdom and power of God. That's what this proverb will show us. Agar under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, will have us learn about God and learn about ourselves by looking at four little creatures. Such is the wisdom of God, and isn't it striking how God will come down to our level and teach us with these little earthly things. In fact, some people stumble at that. There have been some scholars that suggest Proverbs 30 really shouldn't be in the Bible. It can't be inspired because it's so earthly. It's so homely. How would the infinite God stoop down to talk to us about ants and conies and locusts and spiders? That's wrong. God comes down and he teaches us even with these earthly things. All scripture, we believe, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And that includes the proverb before us tonight. So, let us begin looking at four things which are little upon the earth, but which are exceeding wise. We consider Proverbs 30, 24 and 25 under the theme, Learning from a people not strong yet wise. We'll start by looking at the tiny ant. Secondly, the fact that it is exceeding wise. And then finally, wisdom that we gather from it. There be four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. And the first of these four things is a creature that we are all familiar with. In fact, it's the one creature here in this part of Proverbs 30, that we're the most familiar with, the tiny ant. Agar takes us to the great outdoors. That's the classroom today. 
But rather than directing our attention to the sky or to the birds flying there, to the magnificent tree or to some other animal that would much more likely grab our attention, Agur says, look down. We look down by our feet and we observe a bunch of those tiny, black, six-legged bugs we call ants scurrying around. As the weather has been warming up, We're starting to see them, aren't we? Children, you were at school, you probably saw them at the playground. You see them at home building their little ant hills in the cracks of the sidewalk or in your driveway. Ants. God calls our attention to these tiny little creatures. In the first part of the text, we're told two things about ants. Things we are to think about. The ants, the text says are a people not strong. But before we get to the not strong part, let's notice that strange thing that the proverb says. The the ants are a people. It's a strange thing to call an ant people. Here we have the same Hebrew word that is elsewhere used to refer to the nation of Israel. So for example, in Exodus 5 verse 1, when Moses says to Pharaoh, let my people go, there's the same word here. Now, We understand that the Bible here isn't saying ants really are people, though there are people today who'd want to think that. The radical animal rights movement, but that's all nonsense. The text is saying is there's something about ants and the way they behave that's people-like. When you go to that ant hill that's in the crack of the sidewalk, what do you find? You don't find just one or two ants living like hermits. Ants aren't solitary creatures, they're communal creatures. And they're there in a huge number. Even if you just see a few crawling around on the anthill, if you could dig underneath that anthill and see the network of little tunnels and chambers that those ants have dug out of the ground, you'd find hundreds, even thousands of ants. They're a great nation there, living together. The ants are a people. But they are a people Not strong, the text says. And the word strength here refers especially to brawn. That is, physical, brute strength. And the wording of the text, not strong, emphasizes the great weakness of the ant. Children, think of an ant a minute and those little thin legs that they have. How much can those little ant legs lift? Not much. They're weak. In fact, Ants usually use their mouths to lift things. They have those mandibles that they lift little grains of sand, and that's all they can lift. A grain of sand, a tiny pebble, or a pine needle. The ant is weak. How very different from a creature that the Bible often describes as strong. Verse 30 of Proverbs 30. A lion which is strongest among beasts and turneth not away for any. A lion, there's strength. We would think, there's an animal to learn from. God's not focusing our attention on the lion. He's focusing our attention on the ant. Or think about what the Bible has to say about the horse. There's another animal that is strong. Job 39, verses 19 through 21, gives us a a picture of the horse. 
Hast thou given the horse strength? Hast thou clothed his neck with thunder? Canst thou make him afraid as a grasshopper? The glory of his nostrils is terrible. He paweth in the valley and rejoiceth in his strength. He goeth on to meet the armed men. And the picture in our minds there is the rippling muscles of a war horse as he gallops Carrying a soldier upon his back to battle. The horse is strong. The horse is elegant. But what is an ant? It's just this weak little bug. Nothing in comparison to a lion, to a horse. Yet God wants us to pay attention to this littlest of his creatures as it scurries around on the ground, moving little grains of sand. Here and there. Why? Why? Why study the ant? Well, the point is not so that we learn more about insects. That's not the point of the scriptures. The scriptures aren't a science textbook. That's not why we're having a sermon on this text tonight. That's not what we're interested in. The reason is that even the smallest creatures, these tiny ants, are little characters in God's elegant book of creation. The little ants are little words that tell us something about God. The world is a book, and every creature in it is a word of God that can teach us a spiritual lesson about God, yes, but also about ourselves and about the kind of life that we are called to live unto God. And that's the case with the ant, as the text makes clear. The inspired writer sees something in the ant that reflects us. Us as a people. Yes, we are a people. What the ants are only figuratively, we are in reality. We are a people. And we shouldn't Overlook that term when we read it in the Bible because it's a beautiful name for the church, for the redeemed, God's people. Whatever race you are, whatever your background is, whatever your age, whatever your gender, we are a people. We are not just isolated individuals living our own lives, solitary hermits in the midst of this world, looking out first of all for ourselves, but we are a people. That's what salvation does. That's what God's plan is in salvation. To gather to himself a people who are diverse, yes, Catholic, but one. One. That was Israel. God took Israel out of the house of bondage and he brought them to Sinai. What did he do at Sinai? Many things, but one of those things he did there was he constituted Israel a nation. A nation of priests unto himself. And Old Testament Israel, though its outward form is different from the church today, is the same group of people. It's the same people. We are the Israel of God. The church is a people. And the outstanding picture in the scriptures, the New Testament scriptures, is the body of Christ. The community of faith. We are a people. God's people. That stands at the heart of God's covenant promise. I shall be your God. You shall be my people. But now as a people, God tells us, look at the, the ants. They are a people not strong. And there's a spiritual lesson for us there. Our sinful nature is much more inclined to say, we are like the lions. We are like the horses. We are mighty. We are great. And God's word says, 
you are a people not strong as well. It's true physically, of course. What are we compared to a lion? Try to wrestle a lion and it's not going to end well for you. There's only one man who did that, Samson. And that's because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him in a special way and gave him that strength. But especially this lesson is spiritual. Spiritual. God teaches us spiritual lessons with the words, the characters that he has written in the elegant book of creation. That's the difference between a sermon on the ant and a science lesson on the ant. A science lesson on the ant is going to give you a bunch of information about the physical creature, what it's like. And that will lead you to contemplate the glory of God as it is revealed in that creature. But a sermon on the ant, as recorded in scripture, is going to focus especially on the spiritual. Spiritually, we are a people, but not strong, not strong in ourselves. And that's an important confession we must make. Not only as individuals are we weak, but as a people, as churches, as a denomination, we are weak. We can't do it ourselves. We can't be faithful of ourselves. We can't provide for ourselves. We can't hold fast to the truth of ourselves. We can't do anything of ourselves. Without me, ye can do nothing, Jesus said. We are a people not strong. And that points us to this fundamental truth of Christian wisdom, which is wisdom from above, God's wisdom for us. We don't rely on ourselves. We rely on God. Turn to Him. Without Him we can do nothing, but in Christ we are strong. For you children, you think about the ant. What the ant teaches you about you. How are you like an ant? You might not like to think about that. You don't want to be like an ant. You want to be like a horse or a lion. But you and I are like an ant. We're weak. That's why you need your mighty God who is strong to save and to keep you safe. We're weak. People weak. And so we see that reading the book of creation is a, a very enriching thing. And the scripture points us to that. Christians need to read. We need to read good spiritual books. We need to read the Bible above all, but we also need to read the book of creation with the eyes of faith and in light of the scriptures. One of the, the problems with our modern lives is we're often so busy, are, are we not, that we don't read the book of creation. We don't appreciate, as we should, the spiritual lessons that God in his providence has placed all around us. Read the book of creation. That's the tiny ant. But now, the, the proverb wants to tell us something very interesting about the tiny ant. Verse 24. There be four things which are little upon the earth, and the ant is one of those little things. But they are exceeding wise. If we thought it was strange that the proverb calls the ants a people, we'll also find this strange, that it calls them a wise people. How in the world are ants wise? Well, we understand that the text is not teaching that an ant, an animal, has the thinking capacity of a human being. Of course not. The language of the text can be read this way, that 
these four creatures, of which the ant is one, is wise among the wise. That is, it stands out among the other animals of the animal kingdom as being wise in a particular way or in a particular area. And that's how the ant is instructive to us. It is a small, weak creature, and yet God, in his providence, has made it mysteriously and exceedingly wise in a certain way. Now, before we get into that and see in what way the ant is wise, let's remember what wisdom is and what it means to be wise. Wisdom is different than being smart. Maybe you children think that, think of that a wise man is a smart man. That may be true. Wise people are often smart, but not always the case. Wisdom is a little different. And just because someone is smart doesn't mean they're wise. There's lots of very smart people out there who are fools. And even the most brilliant unbeliever, scientist, a philosopher, whatever he may be, a politician, though he's brilliant in earthly knowledge, if he doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, who is the wisdom of God, he's a fool. Wisdom isn't just knowing stuff, but wisdom is knowing how to live in light of God's truth. Wisdom is knowing how to apply what you know so that you live in the best way for the best goal. And the best way is living according to God's word. And the best goal is glorifying God. So wisdom is knowing truth, yes, but being able to live out that truth. For the glory of God. Now, the ant has a certain kind of wisdom. Because God created the ant. And God put the ant in the creation. And as the Belgic Confession says in Article 12, every creature has its own station and calling from God in which it serves and glorifies its creator. And the ant is wise in that God has so created it that it is skillful in carrying out the task that God created it to do. Even though it's a small, weak creature, its wisdom enables it to survive and even to thrive. So let's dig into that then. How exactly is the ant exceeding wise? Now we come to verse 25 of the text, which explains the exceeding wisdom of the tiny ant. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. There's the ant's wisdom in a nutshell. They prepare their meat in the summer. That means they gather their food at a certain time. That's their wisdom. There are three main things to see here. Three main ways that the ant is exceeding wise. The first is this. The ant looks forward and prepares now for the future. The ant in its own way makes wise provision for the future. Now of course ants don't have a conception of time like we do. But they do have certain instincts. Animals have instinct. And what is instinct? It's the handwriting of God upon their nature. 
God's word inscribed upon their nature, telling this creature, this is what you are to do. This is how you are to live. There is a certain wisdom of God inscribed upon the nature of the ant. That is its instinct. It gathers its food in abundance during the summer months. The ants know when the right time is to gather during the summer when it's warmer and the ants can come out of their anthill, when there's food in abundance, summer is the time to gather because winter is coming when food will be more scarce and when it will be cold and they will not be able to come out of the ground to gather their food. There is a certain wisdom of the ant in that they go forth and they gather their food at the proper season. You can say in a way that they observe the time and make provision for the future so that when winter comes and food is scarce, there's a bunch of grain, there's a bunch of seeds and other foods stored in those little chambers that they've dug beneath the anthill and they are provided for in the winter months. The ants gather when it's time to gather. They work tirelessly in season to make provision for the future. That's The ant's wisdom in the first place. But that leads to the second thing that we see. In the gathering of their food, the seasonable gathering at the right time, the ant is diligent, industrious, hardworking. And this is perhaps the most familiar lesson of the ant because there's one other place in Proverbs that speaks about the ant. Proverbs 6. And that's the main point of Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 8. Let's look at those verses a moment. Here, Solomon calls us to consider and study the ant. And he especially calls the sluggard that is the lazy man or the slothful man. But the calling comes to all of us too. Laziness and sloth is in our sinful nature. But nonetheless, we can learn this important lesson from the ant. This piece of wisdom. Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 8. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. The main point is the ant is a diligent creature. They work hard to build their nest. They work hard to burrow those tunnels, moving one grain of sand at a time, Carrying it up and depositing it on that growing anthill. They work hard and diligently. And as Proverbs 6 says, there's there's no ant taskmaster there. There's not a taskmaster whipping the backs of the worker ant so that they do their job. They don't have to be compelled. They all work diligently. There's an industry there that is really astounding. And why is it there? Well, God has written it upon the nature of this little creature. They are exceeding wise. So in the first place, the ants make wise provision for the future. They gather their food in summer. Secondly, the ants are diligent and hardworking in that gathering of their food. They're not slothful. And then thirdly, the third element of this ant wisdom is that though they are not strong, they diligently work together to Overcome some of their weakness. Have you ever watched ants gather food? 
One of the interesting things is sometimes you'll see ants carrying something that is far bigger than they are. One ant can't do it, but a whole bunch of ants work together to carry that piece of food into their nest. They work together to provide for the survival of their colony. They all work tirelessly together. That's part of the ant's wisdom. Wise provision for the future. Diligent hard work. And a sense of togetherness. They work together. Now, having looked at the tiny ant, having looked at how the Word of God sets before us its unique wisdom, we come to what we need to learn. God has made the ant exceeding wise. There is wisdom for us to gather from it. That's why it's here in the Bible. God isn't teaching us facts about a bug. God's teaching us wisdom. Go to the ant, Proverbs 6 says. Go to the ant, consider her ways, and be wise. The idea is that in considering the ant with the eyes of faith in light of Scripture, we will see something in the ant that instructs us for our Christian lives. We will see truth. Truth that we must then apply to ourselves. Truth that we must wisely live out. Go to the ant, consider her ways, and be wise. In gathering wisdom from the ant, there's going to be two main categories of application that I'm going to make now. The first is going to be more specific, looking at the ant's wisdom itself. And then we'll conclude with a few general applications regarding the smallness of the ant. So starting first with the narrower applications, through the ant, God teaches us wisdom. And here we go back to those three ways that the ant is wise. Children, remember them? How is an ant wise? Provision for the future. Hard work, diligence, and working together. First, God made the ant to make prudent provision for its future while the time is seasonable. And now God says to us in this proverb, consider the ant that you may learn to make wise provision for your future. That you may learn to make provision now while the time is right. And this can be applied in an earthly way and in a spiritual way. The earthly application is clear to us, is it not? The wisdom that we gather from the ant is good stewardship with our time and resources. The ant notes the time. It labors during the summer, the time when it ought to labor. So should be the case for us. We should be a people who are responsible, who are good stewards of our time and resources, who labor in season, in season, in the summer, with an eye upon the coming winter. Now is the time to work and to store up for the scarcer months. And we ought to be thinking about that too. The Lord has given us such prosperity. And yet we must know that the prosperity we now enjoy will not last forever. In fact, current events 
This year and the past couple of years show us how fragile our prosperity is. We ought to be wise in our management of earthly things. Not merely thinking about the here and now and enjoying the prosperity of the present. But looking ahead to the winter that shall come. A time of scarcity. We ought to do that as households, as individuals, as a church. Wise with our things that God has given us. And not grow sleepy in the warmth of summer prosperity, which must eventually depart. But the spiritual is what I'm more interested in here. The ant makes prudent provision for itself in earthly things because the ant is just an earthly creature. But you and I are not animals. We are earthly, yes, but we are also spiritual beings, body and soul. We are redeemed body and soul. And we must make provision for ourselves prudently, not only in earthly things, but also in spiritual things. Storing them up. Taking heed to the future. What do we work the hardest to store up? The man who built bigger barns in Luke 12, he was a busy ant, wasn't he? He had great prosperity. He was reaping his harvest, so he built bigger barns to store all of those things in. But he was only concerned with earthly things. He did not take stock of himself or make wise provision for his future. Because his earthly future wasn't going to go on forever. The time would come when he would die. And that day did come. God required his soul of him. And God found him not rich toward God. Lay up for yourselves what? Not treasures on earth, Jesus says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Here's the wisdom of the ant for us. Not only must we be good stewards of our earthly things and our earthly resources, but we must have our eyes upon eternity future. And make wise provision for eternity future. Being rich towards God. Not living in pleasure and indulgence now. But considering the ant and being wise. And storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. That's what's most important. Observing the times. The ants know when it's summer. Summer is time to gather. Do we observe the times? And now I'm not talking about the season, summer, fall, winter, spring. I'm talking about the times. We're in the last days. Now, now is the time to make provision spiritually. Now is the time. Because the day is quickly coming. The day of spiritual winter. When there will be scarcity. When the word of God will not be as readily available as it is today. When we will not enjoy the freedoms that we presently have. And much, much more. The winter months of scarcity are coming. Do we make wise spiritual provision for ourselves now and for our families and for our children? That's the wisdom of the ant. Romans 13 verse 11 says, Knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. What are our priorities as a family? What are we living for? Are we like the man in Luke 12? 
When it comes to earthly things, are we like busy ants? But when it comes to spiritual things, we're more like snails or sloths. We must take heed to ourselves. Apply this specifically to parents. What do we desire most for our children? What do we want for them? What do we labor for right now? Let us be wise and make spiritual provision for them. How? By teaching them the scriptures. At home, in church, in the catechism room, in the school room. Ensuring that they learn the word of God so that they know it. So that it's in their heart. Because the the months of winter are coming. A time of scarcity. We don't know how soon the days of Antichrist will come. But we must be prepared. We must be prepared for those winter months of spiritual scarcity. You young people, learn the wisdom of the ant. Even in your youth, in the summer of youth, do not neglect to think about the future. Not just in earthly terms, but spiritually. Growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ isn't something you start thinking about when you hit 30. It's now, now. Because the winter months of spiritual scarcity may come quickly. We don't know the times. but We see the signs if we're observant. Prudent provision. That's the wisdom of the ant for us. Thanks be to God that it is the prudent provision of the word and wisdom of God made flesh that we are saved. Christ, above all, exemplifies and shows us the wisdom of the ant, does he not? And that's a comfort to us because we are a people weak and we are a people foolish of ourselves. But Jesus, Jesus labored diligently to store up for us all blessings of salvation. In the fullness of time, He came and He labored selflessly. He suffered and died to save us from our sins. And those spiritual blessings, riches of the kingdom of heaven are ours, even without our having to diligently work for them. That's a comfort. And that encourages us then to be diligent. But now we come to the second part of the ant's wisdom and apply that to us too. The ant, as we have seen, God is made to be diligent and hard-working in its God-given station in creation. And so God says, consider the ant that you may learn to be diligent and hard-working in the calling that I give to you. Think of the ant. Its work is hard. It's unpleasant. Scurrying around, moving particles of sand here and there. And yet the ant has such energy in the doing of that work. So it ought to be with us. Whatever our work is. Because in it we serve God. Even if our job is just moving stones back and forth. We move stones to the glory of God. Diligence. Proverbs 6. Verses 6 through 8 instructs us and warns us about the danger of of sloth and idleness. We need to hear that. All of us do. To be diligent in our job, our work at home, school work, catechism work, all of it. Whatever God gives us to do, he says, go to the ant. Look at the ant and do as the ant does. Diligence, hard work. And that ought to be applied spiritually to us as well. The wisdom gathered from the ant shows us diligence in spiritual things. In our battle against sin. 
it's our natural inclination not to be ants in the battle against sin, but to be snails and sloths, sleepy. But when that happens, sin will have its dominion over us. The man who is secure in his sin, puts little effort into fighting it, is the man who quickly becomes the slave of sin again. Point is, our spiritual life takes effort. We have to see that. You can't just coast. It takes effort. It's so easy to be spiritually sluggish in our prayers, our church life, in things spiritual. But God says to us here, let your spiritual life look like the busy ant. Like the busy ant. Prepare your spiritual meat diligently in the scriptures, in attending to the preaching of the gospel. The same goes for our families, for all of us, young and old. The warning is, the snail, sluggard, sloth will quickly become impoverished, spiritually impoverished. Wisdom of the ant, diligence, spiritual things. Now the third part of the ant's wisdom. We've seen its prudent provision for the future. We've applied that spiritually. Diligent labor, hard work, we've applied that spiritually. Now remember the third thing, working together. God made the ants of people not strong and yet wise and that they live and work together in a harmonious way. And God says to us, consider the ant and learn to be a people. To live together, to work together, to help each other. Individual members of the body are very limited and weak. But the body together has a strength that it does not have. As individual parts. That goes for our home. That goes for our church. This is contrary to the culture of our day. Which focuses on individualism. I will be who I want to be. I will live the life I want to live. And affirm me or get out of my way. That's folly. The wisdom of God is. God's children belong to a family. The elect believer belongs to a body. You're a part of a greater whole. And life isn't about you being what you want to be and doing whatever you want to do. Life is about serving God through serving your fellow believers. Working, living, together, together. That's a beautiful thing. You see that when you look at the ants. When you look at the ants, you don't see a bunch of ants just doing their own thing. You see ants working together, not a few, but a whole bunch of them, and so it ought to be in the church. Church is not healthy when it has only a handful of members who are active, a bunch on the fringes. That's not how God designed it to be. We're a body, we're a community, and every part is needed, and the contribution of every part is needed. Don't say, God has only given me meager gifts. Look at the ant. That worker ant can't do much more than move one particle of sand, and yet that ant goes back and forth, moving those particles of sand, and glorifies God in that, because God made it to do that. So too with you and me, whatever our gifts are, whatever place we have in the body, we glorify God and we enrich the body. By doing what God made us to do, called us to do, gifted us to do. Church should observe the wisdom of the ant. 
by living together, working together. Those are the concrete, specific applications drawn from the ant. But now I want to conclude with three brief applications that take a step back and look at the little creature that is the ant. God chose a very little creature to teach us by. Not the lion, not the horse, the ant. And God chose the ant intentionally. One of the reasons is for its littleness. Let's notice first, the gathering wisdom from the ant, the little tiny ant is good for us because it humbles us, doesn't it? It humbles us. Even reproves us. Even shows us our sin. And that's part of God's purpose here. What is an ant? Littlest, lowly, most lowly of creatures. It's a bug that we often stomp on. And the same can be said about the other animals that we're going to look at. The coney, and the locust, and the spider. These are things we call vermin and pests. And yet, God's going to teach us by them. God's going to have us learn wisdom from them. That humbles us, doesn't it? You and I can learn from an ant. Man thinks he's so great. That's our society, isn't it? We are the greatest humankind has ever been. Look at our technology. Look at our enlightened morals. Look at our science. Look at all that we have done. Look at our medical research and on and on. Man is so great. And yet man today is as much a fool as he ever has been. Because man, in his unbelief, today as well as in Paul's day, is this. Romans 1, 22 and 23. Professing themselves to be wise, they become fools and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and to birds, four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Man worships the creature. He suppresses the knowledge of God. He rebels against the God of all wisdom and he chases after the gods of his own imagination which he designs after the created things of this world, whether they be statues of animals or whether they be the gods of modern man in science and in philosophy and whatever else. Man is a fool by nature, an idol worshiper. And even his most exalted morals, such as we have today, such as are are promoted in our society, they drag man down beneath the animals. Even animals know. You don't butcher your own children. God humbles man here. And God humbles us. And that we can learn even from the littlest of creatures. The ant, sometimes wiser than us, isn't it? We can get caught up in the things of this world Indulging in the present summer of prosperity, forgetting the future, and in the prosperity of our modern lives, become slothful in the things most important, fighting with each other. Then God points us to the ant. He says, You 
man, who I set at the top of my creation, now look at the ground, at the tiniest of creature, and learn wisdom. Learn to be wise, to make provision, not to live for the moment, not to live for pleasure, but to strive and work diligently, to look ahead, to live together in peace. So much more, we see how God humbles us and with the tiniest creatures, shows us our sin and points us in the way of life that is pleasing to Him. And in that, we're pointed to our Savior. We see, when, when we go to the little ant and it exposes us and humbles us, we see our need for a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. Jesus is the wisdom of God unto us. Jesus makes us wise unto salvation. In Jesus are found all treasures of wisdom and knowledge, all spiritual blessings. Who would have thought a tiny ant could point you to Christ? Second now, gathering wisdom from the tiny ant teaches us something about perspective. It's not despise small things or be enamored with the things that man prizes and considers praiseworthy. God doesn't see things the way man does. Man so often sees the ant as a little pest to be stepped upon and gotten rid of, but the ant is a beautiful creation of God with wisdom that can teach even the man who wants to step on him. God doesn't see things as man sees. Man prizes the outwardly big, strong, and beautiful, but God's not impressed with those things. God delights in the humble, a lowly people who walk in wisdom's ways, who worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's what delights God. Let us not despise small things or the things that the world despises. Friends, youth, application to you. What's most important in your friendships? What are the kinds of friends you want to have? Those who are outwardly mighty and fun and all the rest. You might say a lion or a horse. Or one who is wise. One who loves the Lord. That's the kind of friend you want. That's the kind of future spouse you want. There's all kinds of people out there. Who are strong. Who are wealthy. Who are very attractive on the outside will not make a good spouse. This is what you must first of all be concerned about. The things of God. Is that young man, is that young woman wise? The things of God. Despise not the small things that God esteems. For a small church like ours, let's not despise the smallness. God has given that to us for good too. God uses small things To accomplish his great purposes. Whether we're big or whether we're small. It's according to God's will. When a Christian school is started and it's small. God uses small things. Let us not despise small beginnings. And this is best displayed in Christ himself, is it not? Christ came and he was lowly. His ministry was humble. He died a death that in man's eyes was contemptible. And yet, that was the wisdom of God for our salvation. Jesus labored. Oh, how he labored for our salvation in that way of humility. Carrying every grain of guilt of our sin. Carrying it away. Carrying 
to us all of the salvation blessings that he has earned for us. That's Christ. Now finally, gathering wisdom from the tiny ant lifts our eyes to the great God and creator who wrote creation's book, every single character in it, and all of them lead us to praise and glorify God. That's what this proverb should lead us to. It should humble us. And as we see our sin, flee to the cross. It instructs us in wisdom how to go forward in a life of gratitude that is wise. But it leads us to worship and glorify God. The creator of all things. The creator of this little creature, the ant. O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom thou hast made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. Let's read God's elegant book. And in it, learn to walk in wisdom's ways. To the praise and glory of his name. Amen. Faithful God and Father, we thank thee for this homely instruction in Proverbs 30. Thou hast made us contemplate one of thy small creatures. In it we see something of thy wisdom. Strengthen us by this word to walk in wisdom's ways. As we live in these darkening last days, may we be wise. May we make provision for eternity future. May we be diligent in spiritual things. May we come together and work together and live together as a church as we look the coming day of Jesus Christ. Bless this word to our hearts. To that end, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.